You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Last night on this very show, I asked for some of our listeners' boldest predictions for NBA free agency. And I remember distinctly someone saying that not a lot would happen and everyone would be resigned to saying, oh, just a boring offseason. And I remember myself saying, I don't know that that much can go down this year. There's not a lot of places with the space and availability to take on free agents. Probably not a whole lot of movement. And that's why you come here, folks, for that kind of expert opinion giving <laughs> from yours truly. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. I was wrong! I'm actually not surprised about the Kevin Durant news, which is, if you're just waking up from a lengthy slumber, that he has requested a trade from the Brooklyn Nets, that he will be working with general manager Sean Marks to figure out a trade. And as a result, we will likely be seeing Kyrie Irving not in a Nets uniform as well. So what are the most likely landing spots for those guys? How does this affect the rest of free agency? And Fitz, that's what this turns on. I wasn't certain if Kevin Durant wanted to stick around for that last deal, Kyrie Irving, one last year with Simmons, with the Nets, and then figure out his next move. I kept saying repeatedly as people talked about Kyrie, what about KD? He'll be 37 when this deal with the Nets ends. Does he want to tie the last best years of his career to Kyrie? Or if Kyrie's going to be on his way out because the Nets don't want to give him a long-term deal, does he feel confident in the Nets to bring in someone else? I just wasn't sure if it was going to happen now. And now that it has, it changes everything because every other team is in pause mode. Well, except for the Knicks. <laughs> the Knicks were like, we're good. <laughs> Almost every team is in pause. And the Kings, because you know, that's not going to happen. The, most of the teams are now on pause to say, see if they can get Kevin Durant. It changed everything. This is one of the wildest days that we could have expected because of the KD news, because I think it puts both the, the player and the organization in such a tricky spot. If you're the Nets, you want to get the biggest return possible. But if you're KD, you don't want to go anywhere. You can't win a championship. So whatever is given back to the Nets has to leave you enough to turn around and be able to win at the highest level. I don't know how you navigate both of those windows at one time. And frankly, if you're Brooklyn, you're looking around saying, how the hell did we get here? Like, we thought that this was going to be championships and defining the new brand for a new generation. And instead, now we're sitting here just absolutely blowing the Who's whole thing we? up and starting from scratch. Like, it's... It's the worst case scenario for the Brooklyn Nets. Who is we? Well, because well. I just want to say that I've been right a lot on this show. Now that I started the show by telling you how wrong it was, I, I, when it comes to the big things of late, and this is one of them, I said the Lakers are going to be a mess. I said the Nets are never going to win. This is a terrible situation. It's worse than I ever imagined, but I did not expect any good to come to the Nets when they put together those three guys. Okay. I just I didn't. And, and it, in fairness, we actually agreed on that. And yeah. if it weren't for that damn title in the bubble, I would have been right on the Lakers, too. Right, that, right, that right. That's my right. whole plan there. Well, but the I, Lakers, uh, I meant I meant this past year. And interesting note, by the way, the Lakers and the Nets, two teams run by the star players. You can't do it. You can give players a lot of agency. You can give them a lot of power. But LeBron made that team, and it stunk. Kyrie and... Kevin Durant, we're talking about, we don't need a coach. We're going to be leading this team. It, it, it didn't work. So now the Nets have to start all over again. And to your point, you said Katie's got to like where he's going. 
only because we know the power that stars have now. And he can tell a team looking to st- to deal for him, I don't want to be there, so I'm not going to try or I'm going to force my way out or you're definitely not getting four years of me. Not because it's in his contract. He's got no say. Kyrie's got no say. In theory, the Nets could send them wherever the best deal is for them, but that team taking them on has to believe when they make that deal that they're going to get a guy who wants to play. And as Brian Windhorst very smartly said on SportsCenter today, Kyrie hasn't even played for the team that he wanted to go to. So why would you imagine he'd play for a team he doesn't? We know right? where KD is. No, this isn't it. Is with- this isn't it. I was just saying, that's what he said. I mean, that's that's so true, Fitz. Yeah. Like, at least KD has shown he wants to play basketball and be great. With Kyrie, you better send him where he wants to go because any team is going to know he's not playing. He didn't even play for the team he wanted to be on. The 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 real thing for the NBA that would be the best case scenario for the league and for the future of the league is if the Nets turned around to both of these gentlemen and said, cool, I don't really care what you want. You, you're on a contract. You're going to play here because this is a maddening cycle. No, if they don't you want are that either, team, though. And you, yeah, nobody's. We know it's not going to happen. But to your point, you know, for anyone that thinks, well, the Nets could just go out and do what they want. I mean, this is proof that even when you have somebody on a contract, you can't do what you want. So, what do you do, and where do you send him that makes sense for him in a way that still lets your organization be at least relevant? And that's a tough. That's a tough answer for everybody. And that's why, you know, as we try and navigate the the money and the the sort of how everybody moves forward. To your point, free agency for much of the league has to be put on hold because you're sitting around saying, "Well, I don't want to do this and find that I'm not in the sweepstakes for KD." If there's any chance we can sell ourselves to KD. So the timing of it, the way that we've all sort of approached it, it's all so radically different than what we expected today would be. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, NBA free agency officially underway. And the big news is that Kevin Durant has put a hold on most of the moves, telling the team he wants to trade. So where are the actual likely places? What we've heard is that his top choices are the Suns and the Heat. But when you get down to the brass tacks of it all, the Heat have some big contracts on the books that could be traded in Lowry and Butler. But if you're the Nets, what good is either of those guys if that's who you've got alongside Simmons? It's not enough. They've got some young players in Struess and Hero, but again, how many other pieces are you going to need to get? And if you have Kevin Durant on a four-year deal, you're not giving him up for that. You can't get Bam out of bio and still have Simmons on the roster because of the rookie exemption deals. That's a very nitpicky NBA thing, but you can't have both. So you'd have to get rid of Simmons if you wanted to get Bam. If you're kind of rebuilding and you need a superstar to build around, none of those guys are it. So you got nothing coming back for KD that the Nets want. The Heat can't make this work unless there's some sort of Pat Riley magic happening. When you get to the Suns, They've got some more options. You could do a sign-and-trade with Aiton, but that's still not enough. They've decided they're going to sign Booker to that Supermax, so the Nets are not getting Booker. The Nets want a selfless, team-first, available player. If you get Aiton and you got $140 million or whatever, that's not the superstar to build around. He's not a guy that creates. I mean, So there's really is- not an answer there either. Right. When you talk about Aiton, who is DeAndre Aiton? Like, at the, at the core of it. A he's guy a who player. got benched at the right. end. Right. A guy that the team that had the opportunity to supermax him before had the opportunity to do a deal with him before said, nah, we're good. Like, the team that was around him in a championship window right now looked at mm-hmm. DeAndre Aiton and said, why nope. don't you go see what other people think yeah, and explore you're not, other options? Like, you're not that speaks up to what that. you're getting. Yeah. Which leaves, I think, one of the most likely scenarios being the Pelicans because they have two pieces that maybe the Nets are interested in. If they want to take a risk, they go get Zion. 
if New Orleans thinks they're in the KD sweepstakes, they'll hold off on that extension that they could be giving Zion right now. Or Brandon Ingram, 24 years old, primary scoring threat. You get some more pieces alongside Ingram, and that's something the Nets can build around. Either way, you're sending KD to a place that would then have one of those two guys, plus probably C.J. McCollum if he doesn't get sent. The Pelicans seemed like the best place, and a place you might not cringe thinking about KD playing at, because I'll tell you where you would cringe. And Brian Windhorse explains it here. We know where KD is with the Nets. That is now over. We don't 100% know where KD is with Kyrie Irving. The league doesn't know. But it has been floated to me by executives that, don't that do if it. they were be kept together, <laughs> that, that the Lakers would potentially have a package that you could trade for both of them. Let's go! But, Richard. But, but, we don't, but we don't know. It's too, it's too fragile. It's too fragile That's because crazy. we just don't know where KD and Kyrie are if they're still interested in together. But oh. it would take – after seeing what happened when they were together, <laughs> almost, no team, almost no team with options would do it. But the Lakers don't have options. Mm. So that's the only place I heard it was possible, it. but Russ we don't have enough. Inf- we don't really have enough information to know. They're just desperate enough to do it. So we'll ask you at Spain and Fitz at Sarah Spain at Jason Fitz. The last place you would want to see KD play is fill in the blank. I feel like some people would say alongside LeBron and Kyrie, and mm-hmm. also the last team that you remember blowing it like the Nets with the amount of talent that they have. So much more to get to here. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs for protection on the road and on the water. See how much you can save at one eight hundred Progressive and Progressive dot com. We're going to continue talking likely landing spots for Kevin Durant, who's winning the early part of free agency. Andre Snelling, the professor, joins us next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Remember those years ago when LeBron James was figuring out where he wanted to take his talents and a bunch of teams were reducing their rosters to like one player just to see if they could maybe get him and Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. I mean, this is going to be another one of those moments where you see teams potentially creating tension with stars that they expected to sign big deals to because they want to wait and see now. And places that are really going to keep the opportunity open to stay in the KD sweepstakes. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. To talk about this and the rest of NBA free agency, ESPN senior writer Andre Snellings joins us now. Andre, we were just talking about landing spots. It doesn't seem like the Heat or the Suns really have a package that the Nets would want. Where do you actually see Kevin Durant going where he might want to play and the Nets might get enough back? Yeah. Um, so, first of all, you know, quick uh, serious note, I just want to say the name Brittany Griner. I want her name said yes. as often as possible and, and just Agreed. have that energy in the sky. As for um, the, the question you asked, yeah, the, we have an article that's running on, um, NBA, on uh, ESPN.com's NBA page now where uh, several of us put together uh, trade packages that, that different teams could, could put together to try to get Kevin Durant. And mine um, would, would, would have Durant going to Denver. Um, it was you know, centered around Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon um, headed to, to Brooklyn and, and um, you know, kind of getting Brooklyn a Durant light to, to start their rebuild. And, and then a few draft picks from Oklahoma City thrown in and, and them getting Ben Simmons. But essentially everyone is playing GM right now. You know, we've got the, the trade machine going on ESPN – and we're just looking to see what makes sense financially and what makes sense basketball-wise. 
as you said, Phoenix and, and Miami are the two names that were mentioned. And I guess Stephen A. has said that he believes that, that Durant wants to go to Phoenix. Maybe if they could swing some kind of sign and trade with DeAndre Ayton and, you know, names like Michael Bridges, um, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe Phoenix could put together a package uh, easier than Miami. But, but, yeah, everybody's paying attention right now. So what happens if we're in a situation where one of the places that is not on Katie's list uh, to be traded to actually offers the best package to the Nets? How do they find that balance? So I have to feel like for the Nets, they take the best package they could get. The question is going to be for the other team. If you're the other team and you know Durant doesn't want to come here, you know, Durant, I mean, He's under contract with Brooklyn now, so if he isn't to have a say as to where he's going, then Brooklyn could just keep him. So if he really doesn't want to go to a particular team, I can't imagine that they're going to put together this outstanding trade package knowing that they might be in the very same situation that Brooklyn is in now. So I have to feel like wherever uh, they get the best offer from is someplace that, that they at least believe that they can get Durant to stay. That's why it feels like the Pelicans make the most sense. If they get rid of either Zion um, and decide that they don't trust his durability or Brandon Ingram and they want to pair KD with Zion, that means he would end up still with a superstar in in New Orleans, and then there's other pieces that could go with that star over to the Nets. Um, we'll see what happens. We're talking to Andre Snellings. You can follow him at Professor Dr. Z on Twitter. What do you make of Jalen Brunson and the Knicks? It sounds like a done deal, but now we're hearing that he's going into a meeting, and it sounds like maybe it's not done. The Mavericks have now made an offer. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been kind of like a cycle throughout, I guess, for a while it's been building that everyone expected the Knicks to make him an offer. And I think it was yesterday they said, well, no, um, uh, he's going to meet with Denver and Miami. And then, you know, came out a little earlier today, they said, well, no, he he canceled his meeting with Dallas and he plans to sign with New York. Um, Yeah, but Woj is now reporting that he is actually walking into a meeting with the Knicks with a five-year, $106 million-plus Mavs offer. So the Mavs did yeah, end up getting so it off <laughs> You know, so the, 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 the cycle continues. I think, for me, I've always felt that, that, that Brunson is a good player. The the numbers that they are generally talking about um, for him, that 20 to $25 million a year range, um, that's not unreasonable for a player of his type. You know, I kind of compare it to um, – you know, Fred Van Vliet with the Raptors. He's making, you know, around 20, up to 23 million over the next few years. And I think that Brunson can be that type of player. The thing is, he's not the player that you add to the current Knicks and all of a sudden they're in contention. So I've always felt like this has to be part one of a sequence of moves that the Knicks have planned. I don't know what those other moves are, but I can't imagine that they just sign Brunson to this type of deal if they're able to get him and and then just wash their hands of the offseason and say, we're good to go. I think there has to be something else. You know, again, in the trade machine speculation, uh, the other day I speculated, well, maybe they might make a run at Zion Williamson. You know, that was a name we were hearing in the past, but I just have to feel like Jalen Brunson is their first step, not their last. So Woj is also reporting that Harden and the Sixers meeting this weekend to negotiate his new deal. What's Philly trying to accomplish right now? They're trying to win the championship. Um, You know, and if they're able to, you know, 
Harden was never, as far as Philadelphia's uh, general manager and president were concerned, he, there was never a question of whether they were going to keep him. I've, I've been saying this all week. The last time I saw Daryl Morey in person was at the Sloan Athletics Conference, and that man was wearing a T-shirt with James Harden's face on it. Like, there, there's no way that he was letting Harden leave if he had anything to say about it. So if you take that as a given, then if you can get him for, say, $37 million this year as opposed to $49 million, then you save – to $12 million, and maybe you can go after, you know, a P.J. Tucker or, or another player uh, of that caliber to try to make that run for the championship this season. And I, I think it's pretty clear that's what Philly wants to do. Now, whether they're able to pull it off, that's always the question. Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Andre Snelling, ESPN senior writer. Got about a minute or so left. Who else are you keeping an eye on? Is it the Jazz and a potential breakup? Is it what the Mavs do if Brunson leaves? What are you looking at? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm paying attention to the Jazz. Um, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, you figure at least one, if not both of them, are going somewhere else. I'm quietly paying attention to the Raptors. Um, they're an under-the-radar team, and, and they rebuilt a lot quicker, I think, into competitiveness than people realize. I mean, that people expected. And Masai Ujiri is a master at building a strong team and then flipping for a superstar. And so I kind of feel like they're almost at that point right now. So I'm curious to see if they end up in the mix for, for any of these big names yeah that should be fun for sure you can follow him at professor dr z andre thanks so much for the time thanks for all right thanks for having me yeah fitz it seems like uh you know the usual shenanigans when you've got uh quote unquote uh not tampering that happens before the deadline (laughs) where the deals get just you know get uh, announced and then there's still an opportunity for teams to slide in and change them. You think this Brunson thing might change here after we've expected this next deal done? I mean, that's if you're the Mavs, the best case scenario is that you keep them in the building, right? A player, you know, a player that Luca knows player, everybody in that building can feel confident with. If you're the Knicks, this is a worst case scenario because you wanted to get first stab at being able to talk them into leaving. So for all the conversation last week, boy, the Mavs could come in last second and swipe this one out. Yeah, and even if you think you're paying him a little bit much, that's you don't want to be in the situation that the Mavs would be in where they're struggling to figure out who they're going to put around a guy that they already probably haven't maximized enough in Luka. So, man, it's going to be interesting. Will the Knicks lose out again? Uh, speaking of losing out, college football, is it a loss to have super conferences or just an inevitability? We'll get into next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Out here having a good day, getting ready for all the NBA free agency. All of a sudden, I'm sitting there, bam, college football says pay attention to me with breaking news that none of us saw coming. Rock the college football world as USC and UCLA looks like they are moving from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten. First reported in the San Jose Mercury News, sources have have confirmed to ESPN's Heather Dinich. So what's it mean for college football? We'll break it down. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Jason Fitz, Sarah Spain, we're presented by Progressive Insurance, and we bring in ESPN college football analyst Rod Gilmore. Join us. Rod, man, hope you're having a good summer. Like, here we were thinking you were having a relaxing summer. Not much was going to happen, and all of a sudden we get this news. So what was your first reaction when you heard about the two major brands from California heading to the Big Ten? Yeah, I was minding my own business, getting ready for the holiday weekend, and all these fireworks go off early. I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're, we're supposed to have fireworks on the 4th, not today. Um, first, first thought was, wait a minute, that can't be happening. That's crazy. How is that happening? And sure enough, you know, it is. And then the next thought is, you know, Pac-12 is dead. 
you know, that the Pac-12 can't survive losing USC and UCLA. I mean, that's the L.A. TV market. That's a lot of tradition. Uh, the rivalries, you know, for the mm-hmm. longest, the California schools in the Pac-12 have been joined at the hip. Stanford, Cal, UCLA, you know, and, and USC. If you go back to the expansion to the Pac-12, you know, the politicians and the ADs all insisted that the Pac-12 California schools all play each other every year. And so that's been wiped out. And, you know, folks in the Pac-12, particularly uh, the California folks, are just stunned that USC and UCLA would uh, abandon the conference in lockstep and leave the other California schools trying to figure out what happened. Three minutes ago, Pete Thamel tweeting that both teams have been notified their application to join the Big Ten has been accepted and they'll begin play in 2024. You mentioned the rivalries. We've heard a lot of people claim the demise of college football will be the cause of an an IL or something like that. Would these super conferences and the loss of traditional rivalries and history be something that you think is a real threat to the popularity of college football? Um, I don't know if, if it's going to be a threat to the popularity overall. It is going to leave a, a bad taste in the mouth of, of fans in the short run. Um, the rivalries in, in the Pac-12 between you know those four schools um, has been intense. Uh, it's also been a big economic factor in the state, which is why the politicians were involved in 2012 and they're likely to get involved now is because those games meant a lot of revenue, you know, in the state, in Southern California and Northern California. So I, I think it is going to have an impact. And what happens to the Rose Bowl? I mean, if we continue to see more fallout from the Pac-12, let's say Oregon and Washington, you know, leave, as we keep hearing rumors that they're looking to leave also, what happens to the Rose Bowl? Is it just going to be, you know, a Big Ten Rose Bowl and you stick in USC or UCLA? Uh, what happens to January 1st? Uh, what happens to the Pac-12? Do they start looking at trying to merge with, with the Big 12? What can they do to survive? Can they even try and keep Oregon and Washington? Uh, there are lots of issues out there that we won't have answers to for a while. But, yeah, this is going to change an awful lot. It's going to change rivalries. It's going to be a hit early. But in the end, we are fast approaching the super conference era, and that's going to excite some people. It's going to create new matchups, new rivalries. Uh, a new way of getting to a championship. So uh, it remains to be seen how the popularity of college football fares in the next, you know, four or five years. Let's be honest, Rod. I mean, when you go into the Big Ten, you're playing tougher opponents, too. So much like Texas and Oklahoma are going to have to be dealing with, like, you, USC can't just feast on Cal if they want to. They're going to have to play Michigan, Ohio <laughs> State, all of those. Like, so what does this mean for their actual competitiveness in your mind? Well, uh, I think it's a bigger issue for UCLA right now than, than USC. It's, it's been really clear that USC uh, has made a commitment to put the money into recruiting, to put the money into paying coaches, facilities. They have committed all that. Name, image, and likeness, USC is all in. You know, UCLA is a, is a state school that's had trouble balancing its budget, you know, the last several years. Uh, doubling their TV revenue will help them. And it appears that UCLA is going to follow the path of, you know, USC. For many of us, we expected that if anything were to happen like this, it would be USC and maybe Oregon, 
maybe Washington, but UCLA was not really seen as the partner that would leave the conference with USC. Most of the speculation was that, well, if they ever happened, it would be USC and Oregon, but, but not USC and UCLA. What does this mean for coaches and players? I know recruits seem to be reacting uh, on social media to this decision. How does it affect those who are employed by the schools or playing for them? Well, let's start with the players. I think for uh, players who are being recruited, you know, the last couple of weeks have been big weekends. There have been a lot of on-campus visits, and a lot of players have committed to various schools in the Pac-12 the last couple of weeks for the class of 2023 and, you know, commitments, verbal commitments for beyond that. I think those will get reevaluated. I mean, the fact of the matter is your most elite high school players want to play in the most elite conferences with the biggest you know, games, the biggest competition. And if you look at the Pac-12 now, as this continues to play out, now you start to think in terms of, well, there are two major conferences. You've got two super conferences, and then you've got the Big 12 that's trying to figure it out. You've got the ACC, which is kind of kind of locked at standstill right now uh, with their contract through 2036. And the Pac-12 just had this earthquake happen. And what's the Pac-12 going to look like? If, I, if I'm one of those guys and I just committed, I'm backing off and I'm saying, you know what, let me see how this plays out. I'm going to reopen my recruitment and see because there may not be a Pac-12 by the time I graduate high school. Well, and really quickly, you also have a whole bunch of people who thought they were playing on the West Coast whose parents might be going to all their games and such who are now looking right. at all that travel yeah. and, and the weather and everything else. Yeah. So, Rod, yeah. I'm going to make I think you... coaches are, are somewhat stuck with, by their contracts in the short run. But when you try to recruit guys now, it's, it's going to be a different deal. Same for coaches who want to compete at the highest level. I'm going to make you the athletic director of let's just pick a school. I don't know, UNLV. Uh, so, Clemson? you know, UNLV, <laughs> a Mountain West school that every time the Pac-12 has ever done expansion, for example, everybody says, oh, they should go to the Pac-12. If you're one of those tweener schools that's looking to try to move up, is there any point in looking at the Pac-12 or do you wait and see if you can convince one of these mega conferences to let you come in? No, I, I still think that there is still sort of the view in the Pac-12. The Pac-12 has always viewed itself as you know, the most academic conference with the greatest collection of uh, academic universities, you know, in the country. And they just lost two of them, USC and UCLA. I don't think the presidents in this conference are going to look at universities that aren't the highest rated. I think I, I can't see that happening with them. They, they just really wouldn't go that route. They haven't forever. I don't see them changing that. I think they're more likely to look at some sort of a you know, sharing arrangements, scheduling agreement with another conference like the Big 12 if they can get it. But I don't see the Pac-12 deciding, now we're ready for Boise State, now we're ready for San Diego State. I just don't see the presidents uh, going for that. I could see them saying, you know what, we see the super conferences as the professional model. We want to stay with the collegiate model. We'll do NIL, but we'll do it on a smaller basis. And we're going to just focus on the college experience. And we'll do it with like-minded schools, but we're not going to try and compete with the super conferences. So I could see that being the way the presidents in this conference would look at it. At you Rod guys. Gilmore is where you can follow him, ESPN College Football. And I say we got uh, 30 seconds or less. Is there anything we haven't asked you about that is an unintended consequence or something that you think might happen either to the game or to the business side because of this? 
Well, I, I think the ACC is looking hard at what's going on with their legal rights, uh, the grant of rights for their schools there. Can a, can a team like Clemson say, you know what, we want to get out of here. Can they legally get out? And if you're North Carolina and you see the handwriting on the wall, maybe you're looking at the same issue because you don't want to be on the outside looking in. We now have 32 teams, you know, in the top two conferences. And for years we talked about the super conferences. You don't want to be on the outside. If you're Clemson and you're playing for national championships, you can't be on the outside of that. So I would look and see who in the ACC is going to be bold enough to say, I will challenge you legally. I got to find a way to get out. You guys follow him on Twitter, at Rod Gilmore. Rod, always appreciate you, my friend. Get a little rest. We'll talk this fall, I'm sure. We appreciate you hanging out with us. <laughs> Thank you both. Take care. Have a great day. Uh, this is going to be wild, and it, you know I've, I've got a solution. We'll get into later. I've I figured out exactly what college football should do. We'll tell you that next hour. But we've also figured out – just give us an NBA team. Sarah and I have now played GM. We have found the perfect trade that will work not only for the Nets but also for Kevin Durant. We'll tell you what it is next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. You guys can just take the rest of the day off. Sarah and I have figured it out. In fact – if the NBA just wants to take the rest of the weekend off, we've got the major issue. The one thing they've got to get figured out, we got it all solved already. We figured out the trade that works for the Nets and for KD and for the team that acquires him, and we did it in roughly, I don't know, an hour. So you're welcome, America. We fixed it all. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And, look, the big news of today was supposed to be the opening of free agency in the NBA, uh, wildly, college football decided to blow up their entire business model, and KD decided to ask for a trade all in the same day. So it, it's been an intense day. But as we came together and tried to figure out what makes sense for KD and what makes sense for the Nets, I said it earlier, Sarah, this is a difficult proposition because, remember, the Nets want to get something back in return. They don't want to get – they'll never get superstar value in return. But you got to get something back that can keep people fired up and keep everybody happy and give you a shot to be relevant. And KD doesn't want to go anywhere where what he's given back in return strips that team away from being able to manipulate or handle anything. So he wants to still be with the winner. That's why we figured it out. What makes the most sense, KD gets traded to the Pelicans. It's a win for New Orleans. It's a win for Brooklyn. It's a win for KD. And frankly, if I'm presuming in this instance that Zion is part of this, for example, it even could be a win for Zion to go to New York, start over in a different media market, and have the opportunity to get himself healthy as a member of the Nets. Yeah. I mean, listen, he would be going to a place that has enough star power that either he could play alongside Zion Right, because it could be, say, like a Brandon Ingram, Jackson Hayes, a couple first-round picks going to the Nets. You keep Zion, you pair him with Durant, you've got CJ. Um, or, like you said, they could decide in New Orleans, we don't want to run the risk of giving a big deal to Zion. We're just not sure what we've got, and we're not 100% sold, even though he told, tells us he wants to play here. Let's send him to the Nets and then see what we got with KD and Brandon and them. Um, I think a lot of that is, is going to depend on how the Nets feel about Zion and whether they really are, are, are believing that he's a guy that is durable enough and consistent enough. They just had to deal with the guy in Kyrie for injury and other reasons that wasn't available. I also think one we haven't talked about much is Toronto, and that's something Andre Snelling's floated out as well. Uh, OG Ananobi, uh, Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes, 
Uh, they've got multiple firsts to give up. Uh, and the, the Raptors are a team that's done that before, set themselves up with enough pieces to grab that superstar that puts them over the top. Um, I could see it. Yeah, I, it, that would also be an interesting scenario. We don't, you know, sometimes I feel like Toronto's almost forgotten uh, in these conversations right. consistently. So if you're KD, you want to go somewhere where you can win a championship. Now, that's not the only big news in free agency so far today. I, this is interesting to, I think, both of us because – We've spent the last week sort of obsessing, as we often do, about everything the Knicks might be considering doing. And Jalen Brunson has been the, the card that everybody thought they were going to flip over and get today. Like, it was all going to be fine. They know him. He has a relationship with the organization. His dad's an assistant coach there. We know yeah, all Yeah, real these quick, stories. for those who don't know, Rick Brunson played there and now works there. Leon Rose was Rick Brunson's agent and is Jalen Brunson's godfather, per reports, and Sam Rose's father. Sam Rose is Jalen Brunson's agent. Like, the number of connections, if he ends up spurning the Knicks, it might be all time in terms of the Knicks losing out. And we've seen them lose out over and over again, but this guy might really be the, like, final straw. I think that's what's shocking to me, Sarah, because I said the other day that, you know, no organization in all of sports, in all the NBA, even where he was with the Mavericks, would have a better idea of where Jalen Brunson's mind was and what he wants than the Knicks because of all of those ties you just mentioned. I mean, for the love of God, you just look over and be like, hey, what's your kid want? And then, you yeah. know, your dad's you like, well, this is what he's <laughs> looking for. And so when we started seeing all of the movement around draft night, it made sense that the Knicks were all in on Jalen Brunson. And and they uh, certainly appeared to be. But as Wade, Woj reported a little while ago, Brunson now has a five-year, $106 million-plus Mavericks offer and is walking into a meeting with the New York Knicks within the hour. So the Knicks you know, presumably knew exactly what they were getting into. But the Mavs at least put a piece of paper under his arm with $106 million reasons to think about it. Yeah, and the original report was that the Mavs did not have a chance to send an offer. That clearly is not the case. Uh, we have seen, and you remember, what year was that where people were getting locked into rooms with a chair under the door and that we, you know, there was all the emojis of the boat and then the helicopter and all of that. I'm very interested in potentially seeing if somebody swoops in last minute. Now, somebody also mentioned that they, the way that Woj tweeted what he did about Jalen Brunson and the offer is potentially to keep the Knicks from getting fined for tampering. So maybe oh. the deal is in fact done and he's just protecting the Knicks by offering up that the, the meeting is happening now, as opposed to it already happened. The deal is done and it was done before the tam the uh, technical free agency period was open. I mean, there has to be a level of common sense. Like I realize that nobody right? can talk about business, but when you sit there and say, Hey, tampering, tampering, it's like, I was talking to my dad, right? My, my dad happens, and I realize that that's a Well, but I mean, slope. also, we just know that tampering happens everywhere yeah. all the time, regardless of whether the NBA said at one point they were going to really try to, like, you know, tamp down on it, uh, oh, to use that term. Did there. She's yeah. Sarah Spain. I'm Jason Fitz. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. And, and look, I think there's a ton of pressure on the Mavericks here to get something done because you and I talked about it last year going into the playoffs that maybe because Dallas – 
seems to fly to, uh, below the radar a little bit. We weren't uh, giving them as much scrutiny as we give other organizations with the superstar the level of Luka. Now, Luka then takes the Mavs farther, and Brunson played really well in the playoffs, but they go farther than a lot of us expected they could, and it relieves a little bit of that pressure. But we're going to be sitting in the same spot if the Mavericks have done nothing to not only get better, mm-hmm. but to at least maintain status quo when you have one of the best players in the NBA on your roster. Yeah, we were just talking about this. I was saying last night, lean Luca doesn't mean much. What is he going to do even more than he's already been doing alongside absolutely no one? Uh, Brian Windhorst <laughs> actually talked about that today on Barton Hahn about Brunson potentially leaving. I don't really fault the Mavericks for not matching the Knicks' offer for Jalen Brunson. I fault the Mavericks for the way they let it get to this point. Jalen Brunson was ready to extend his contract before last season. He was ready to extend his contract midway through last season, and the Mavericks didn't do it because they had other priorities. And frankly, let's just be honest, they misjudged how good Jalen Brunson is. And they let it get to this, and it's their fault that they let it get to this. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Now it's like he might get overpaid by the Knicks, so maybe you don't want to do that. But if you'd locked him up and seen the potential before, you could have had him for less. It is also being reported right now that JaVale McGee has agreed to a three-year, $20 million deal with the Mavericks uh, with a player option for the third season. So uh, we'll see what other moves the Mavs are making. It, they're, they're in a – you mentioned earlier what a strange situation it is when so many free agents are sitting by waiting to figure out what happens with KD. I think there's mm-hmm. you know, sort of a natural perspective on that. But if you're the Mavs, you're also in a little bit of a holding pattern trying to figure out what's going to happen – with Brunson, you need an answer from him quickly as well because you want to be able to move forward with what are you, whatever your roster construction looks like. This is the wild part of free agency, trying to figure out how everybody plays this dance the right way with each other. That's why they should have tampered. you got to get out ahead <laughs> of it, man. You can't wait till now. People are getting scooped up. <laughs> you know what? Forget it. I say we bring back tampering and we just let you know. Uh, or we just do what the NFL always does and call it the legal, legal tampering, tampering period, period, which is always – Always the biggest joke to me in all of it. What we do know is that Kevin Durant has demanded a trade. What we don't know is where he's going to go, even though I think we've solved that issue and we've done it perfectly. We also know that the rest of the NBA is trying to figure out how to navigate what was supposed to be a very normal beginning to free agency. So we'll keep you updated on all the transactions as we hear about them. But the question is, how did we get here with KD and the Nets? So our next guest will help us shine a light on the Nets situation, what happened and what's next. We'll break it down. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I am absolutely the person who says I told you so. I have no shame in bragging about the train wrecks that I see coming miles away. And boy, was this Nets trio that turned into a duo one of those. But what exactly went wrong beyond, you know, the obvious? And why wasn't it possible for the team to move forward surrounding Kevin Durant with different talent, figuring out what to do with Kyrie. Lots of questions about exactly what went wrong in Brooklyn. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm guessing Nick Friedel would have said I told you so, too. ESPN NBA reporter who went from the Splash Brothers to the Bleep Show in covering the Nets. What happened, Nick? I just love the fact that it says that not only do you love to say I told you so, you also love to tell me that you saw some of my previous relationships ending up like I the did, train wreck that we're watching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it doesn't just stick to sports. Yeah, no. I'm always there. I can always see it coming. <laughs> as you can always see it coming. But as far yeah. as this goes, 
all of what we're seeing today, in my mind, and in a lot of people in the organization's mind, is because of Kyrie's decision not to get vaccinated. And obviously, it's not just that choice with Kyrie. It's the last couple seasons. They couldn't count on him. They couldn't count on him to be out there. But specific to this year, once he made that choice, it hung over the entire organization like an albatross. And at first they weren't going to have him play on the road, and then they reversed course, and they were going to allow him to play, and then he played, and he would say some stuff in press conferences, and people in the organization would look around and be like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Now we get to a point where all the drama that had been building all season has overwhelmed this team. Because, Sarah, if Kyrie had gotten that vaccination early on, James Harden is still in Brooklyn. The Nets have a much better playoff seed. We don't know what happens in the postseason once everything equals out. And now this group is completely back at ground zero. And they just don't know how to turn things around and what they're going to get back from KD and all the different decisions that they have to make in the next few days. But From talking to people in the last few hours, everything points at Kyrie and falls at his feet. With that being said, Nick, then experts seem to differ on whether or not KD and Kyrie could want to stay together if they're moved somewhere as a package. Do you see any interest in that? If a team saw what has just happened over the last year and they say, hey, you know what? (laughs) It can work here with both those guys. It can happen in our team when it didn't happen in Brooklyn. Hey, more power to them because that that ego is incredible if that's the case. I think that both of those guys have a close friendship. And I think if they had their choice, sure, they'd like to play again together. But fits for context, I'd also tell you that I've been told many times throughout the season that while that relationship is very close, it's not always as close as it appears to be. So from a basketball standpoint, I think their games fit. I think they understand how to best get the most out of each other on the floor. But I would be surprised if we're talking a couple months down the road here and they're on the same team. It just seems like there are too many hurdles that would have to be cleared to make that happen. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Nick Friedel. Yeah, I figure anybody who still thinks they can make it work with Kyrie is the same person who thought Jay Cutler's big arm would be enough to to figure it out or that Devin Hester was so fast he could definitely be a wide receiver. Those are very Chicago-specific references, but you guys understand. Let's talk about KD's role in all this because I think it's easy to point the finger at Kyrie and very deserving. How much did he do to his reputation as a leader, as a guy who drives the bus, as Charles Barkley would say. Obviously, his talent is so great, and his availability is there, so teams are going to want him. But what have we learned about Kevin Durant and his inability to control or lead in any way while Kyrie was taking apart this team? Well, sir, I think the hard part is that everybody focuses on why Kevin wanted to break up with Steph, but that was more that the Warriors' relationship had run its course. Those two guys have an immense amount of respect for each other. What Kevin Durant is going to have to, have to answer from now until the end of time is 
why he attached the end of his professional prime Mm -hmm. to Kyrie Irving. And having been around them a little bit in these last few months, the friendship is there. The relationship is there. And Kevin is going to say, well, I wanted to play with my friend. I thought we could do it. And it just didn't work out. But as far as the bus driver stuff and and Kevin's ability as a leader, what I tell you is that I think Kevin was the bus driver of that Golden State team that won two titles. And, And he won two finals MVPs. But it shows you, and this is a broader scope aspect of this to me, guys. It shows you how important a player like Steph Curry is to any organization, but specifically to the Warriors. He knew he could get the most out of his career in one place. He didn't want to go anywhere else. He was confident that the front office would put the right players around him and that ownership would do what they needed to do when the time came. When you have that type of talent and belief, not only in yourself, but in the people around you, that's when special things can happen. And for Kevin, now that he switched – from Oklahoma City to Golden State and Golden State to Brooklyn and Brooklyn, wherever he lands next, there will always be that question of why he couldn't make it work in one place. And the questions will linger unless he can come back and lead a team to another title. Hear me out, though, Nick. I mean, everybody loves a good, you know, reuniting story. We've all got an ex we know we shouldn't get back together with, but we have at some point, right? So, you know, Golden State, uh, KD, maybe maybe slow dancing? Come on. Mr. Fitz, don't we know, though, that while it may seem like a good idea sometimes in the moment, it's never really (laughs) the right idea in the end? (laughs) You're right about that, but it makes for good drama for everybody. Wait, are we talking about your relationships again, or are we back on basketball? They always hover over everything, like Kyrie's choices on the nets, you know? Uh, What I would tell you with the, the possible Warriors rekindling is the Warriors have the leverage in that And I can't even believe I'm saying this, given how great KD is, but they just don't need him. What Mm. they would have to give up to get Kevin Durant, to me, guys, it's just too much. Because you're talking about Jonathan Kaminga, Jordan Poole, Moses Moody, a slew of draft picks, Andrew Wiggins, money-wise, to make the financials work. And that's too much. Because you have a team right now, that just won a title, and with Steph playing at the level that he's at, they're primed to win another couple titles. You can't upset the rhythm of that group when they're playing at that high of a level together. So I know it would be fun and the storylines would be awesome, but I would be really surprised, not that the Warriors won't make a call, but if they absolutely said, we've got to bring him back. I think that time has come and gone. Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Nick Friedel. Hey, before we let you go, look into your, you know, Kyrie Irving personality reader that I know you learned from your time in Brooklyn and tell me, do you see him going to the Lakers as the best case scenario in terms of a place he might keep it together because of the influence of a guy like LeBron or the expectations of a franchise like the Lakers? Or is it just as likely anywhere he goes that he'll be living in his own universe? Sarah, I think it's a really good question, and I'd say that as far as a best case, the Lakers wouldn't be bad, but having been around Kyrie enough, you could put him anywhere, and you're still not sure what you're going to get. The only thing that you can pull from this particular situation is that Kyrie understood, 
as he took a, a, a look around the landscape of the league, that he's going to have to prove himself and keep his game at the level that he was at when he was on the floor, but he's going to have to prove that he wants to be out there every night. And whether he plays in L.A. with LeBron or whether he plays on Pluto, it doesn't matter if he's not going to be out there and be a full-time member of the team. The thing that hurt the Nets the most in the last year was that they could not count on Kyrie Irving night to night. Until that part changes, it doesn't matter what team he's on. Yeah. Awesome stuff, as always, Nick. Uh, we'll have you on next week to talk about those relationships or no? Or my move to Miami, you know. Oh, 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 you never know where Nick's going to be. Nick Friedel, he has been in the You can follow him at you. Nick Friedel. Yeah, that's that's a good place to find a nice gal to settle down with. Good you know, and, it, For a day or two, yes, it sure is. All right, all right. He has been radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs for protection on the road and on the water. See how much you can save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and progressive.com. Coming up, what will the ripple effect be for USC and UCLA? Jump and ship to the Big Ten. We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. In a day that was supposed to be dominated by the NBA with free agency, and now, as we all know, the trade demand by Kevin Durant, one other sports topic absolutely blew everybody away, and it was the surprising, let's say shocking, discovery that USC and UCLA have decided to move from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten. Yet another huge change. But this one has massive ripple effects for everybody involved. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And look, I'm not, contrary to popular belief, I'm not a total moron. And I realize that some things are as simple as money. But money is going to be so hugely impacted, Sarah, when you start talking about USC, UCLA, two massive brands in an L.A. A television market moving to the Big Ten because the Big Ten is in the middle of negotiating TV rights and rights that we thought were going to be announced soon. But it's already been reported that on the heels of this move, Apple, for example, has tried to re-engage in talks with the Big Ten. When you start talking about the media rights implication on this, it's obvious that UCLA, USC, it doesn't. it's not about geography. It's not about ease of being able to play any sports. It's simply about how can we make more money and have a mega conference, and this is a huge step towards that. Yeah, and, and I think there are people who would say, yeah, this was an inevitability and all the talks of an alliance and everything else were foolish, if you believed them, that once we saw the SEC grow, you knew that it was going to continue. And, you know, a, a handful of schools will have a great response to this in terms of revenue, reputation, etc. But it probably is bad for a whole bunch of other schools that are no longer a part of anything relevant that are no longer a part of tradition that served them very well, even if they were never truly in the mix to win. I think a lot of the edges now of the Pac-12 are totally screwed in the same way we saw that SEC expansion have really deleterious effects to the teams that weren't involved. Yeah, I mean, you you talk about the Big 12 and and what's left of the Big 12 without Texas and Oklahoma, and it's nowhere near what it was. I'd love for Cincinnati and UCF to to come in and be great, but they're not the same brand and same value as programs. And for the Pac-12, now you've got two of the biggest brands leaving, and what it means for Oregon and Washington, we'll find out. But I would only imagine that the rest of the Pac-12 is looking around now trying Mm -hmm. to figure out how to save themselves. But, Sarah, it also raises 
a question. And look, I know a lot of people roll their eyes, but we have to acknowledge that the NCAA is not just here to protect football, right? So when you start talking about the geography, like the requirements alone for the rest of, let's say, Olympic sports, because I hate the term non-revenue generating, for Olympic sports, I'm not sure what this means. Because mm-hmm. I, if you're a wrestler or a swimmer or a diver, you're a track athlete, are they going to start sending Rutgers out to L.A. for things? Like, that just seems like such a massive stretch when you t- um, when you talk about the cost they'll be taking. The cost? They are not going to have likely chartered flights, so they're going to travel, what, six to ten hours, depending on where they are, to go compete. Think about schools and sports uh, where they're going to completely change the temperature of where they're competing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I mean, if you're a UCLA softball player who's now, you know, playing in March somewhere or a a, a field hockey or something who's now playing in the middle of the winter in the Midwest, you've also got, you know, I I realize that this is a laugher because we understand that the NCAA only pretends to be uh, interested in in student athletes and amateurism when it allows them to prevent uh, paying football players. But the idea of these student athletes missing as much school as they will for the travel requirements of this is up there as well. Yeah, and when you start talking about the extra inability, and you mentioned this with Rod Gilmore, but I think it's an important uh, part of the conversation, not just for football, but for all sports. If you're a basketball player and you wanted to play somewhere where your mom and dad could catch a lot of your games, that's something that usually happens in college sports. I don't know what you do mm-hmm. now if you're playing for USC or UCLA and suddenly you realize that, you know, half your season, sure, they can come to that. But the rest of the half, they better have the, the means to get themselves right. to Wisconsin, Nebraska. And, like, the thing that I, that really stunned me a couple of years ago when I was traveling to game day, you don't think about it till you're actually in the, the heart of it, is how difficult a lot of these college schools or, or campuses are to get to. Like, it's not like you can just fly in to – Ann Arbor easily or inexpensively like suddenly you're you're flying and taking connecting Mm -hmm. flights and you're driving like for for families that want to see their kids play like the number of things that were disregarded so that they could put this together for football is a little astonishing to me especially given the massive geographical gap without anything in the middle of it it's just like the midwest and plop here we go california oh it's not astonishing to me though as i just saw someone post cream cash rules everything around me they do not care because the priority is not the student-athlete balance or amateurism or the experience, it's never been. That's just been held up as an opportunity to defend unpaid labor, professional sports, you know, under the guise of amateurism. Now, listen, it doesn't even stop here. What if they get to 20 teams each? What if they start their own playoff? What if they have playoff winners that they decide they're going to name the national champion without ever playing the other playoff winners? You know, and, and a lot of people... Um, I think welcome drastic changes to college sports, understanding that the NCAA has not been an honest and good steward for most of the folks involved. But others will tell you that college football lose its, loses its relevance when it's not tied to the schools anymore, when there isn't tradition and the connection to your university. And maybe people can have that no matter who their team plays or where they travel, but it does get harder the the less it looks like what we've all become accustomed to. And that's not a judgment that the old way was good. It's just to say that it's going to keep changing in such drastic ways that we're not necessarily going to recognize it in a couple of years. Yeah, I, I, you look at 
the tradition that rules college football. It's part of the storytelling we do every week when we cover it. It's part of what makes generational fandom come in. You know, you watch it with the grandparents and they watch it with the grandkids and everybody sits together and you think about not just the rivalries, but the traditions that come around these games. That's all sort of being thrown by the wayside. Now, long term, sure, I'm not an idiot. They'll make new traditions, but I just I, I wonder short term what all of this will mean. And, you know, to your point, that the conferences are going to have to start looking in the mirror. And I don't have a great answer for mega conferences, but if that's truly the answer, then conferences like the SEC and the Big Ten are also going to have to look around and figure out if they're going to prioritize schools that also prioritize football. If all we care about is football, right. then somebody's going to have to decide why Vanderbilt's in the SEC and why Northwestern is in the Big Ten, like year in well, and year out. Like, And you know what, Ari Chambers, our, our favorite uh, WNBA reporter and, and reporter on all things women's sports, just pointed out too, there's beach volleyball in the Pac-12. There is not beach. There are sports that probably don't even exist in the Big Ten. What are those teams doing? Yeah, nobody cares about the collateral damage, but we do, and I think that's an important part of the conversation we have to have about all of this because it's not just about football. I know they make all the money, but there are regulations, not just about that. All right, we'll get back to the NBA. Who's winning free agency? We'll ask Kevin Pelton when he joins us next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Yes, we've uh, getting we're talking a little college football. We'll get back now to the NBA. That's obviously what everybody's got their eyes on as we try to keep uh, track of what's happening in free agency. Also trying to keep uh, track of what's happening with Kevin Durant as he has requested a trade from the Brooklyn Nets. Where could he go? What could it mean? How could it all happen? We'll get some expertise. ESPN NBA writer Kevin Pelton joins us. Uh, Kevin, always appreciate the time. Uh, I mean, for me, I'm trying to look at any situation that gives some sort of comparable value back, at least something that makes the Nets not feel terrible about having to trade away KD. What's the best situation in your mind for the Nets? I mean, it's really tough to say, you know, how willing some of the uh, teams in the league are going to be to part with some of their best young players. I I think that's the idea that the Nets are going to have here is we're going to start with, you know, we're calling Toronto and asking for Scotty Barnes as part of a a package in return or, you know, players like that. I guess, uh, you know, if you get really fanciful back to Oklahoma City and it's Chet Holmgren coming in return. I, I don't think any of those players are going to be available. I think we're probably talking players who are a little deeper in their career, you know, potentially Bam Adebayo from Miami, since that's one of his preferred destinations, although that uh, creates some complications because if they can't have both Bam Adebayo and Ben Simmons on the roster, they'd also have to trade Simmons at the same time. Uh, or Phoenix, you know, we're looking at probably a, a package headline by Mikhail Bridges and uh, a sign-and-trade for DeAndre Ayton, which creates its own complication. And neither of those deals is something that the Nets would want to do, right? So just because KD says that's where he wants to go, I don't see them giving up KD for four years for those dudes. I mean, I guess the question is, you know, what level of unhappiness he expressed to Joe Tsai in this meeting today. I mean, one of the things we've seen over and over again is it almost doesn't matter how much is left on your contract. At some point, right. you've got the I just ability mean a better to go to the place you wanted. For the Nets, whether that's, you know, the Pelicans or somewhere else. Yeah, I think the Pelicans are an interesting option. I mean, I, it's going to be one of the most fascinating tests of how much player, control players have over these situations because because of the fact that Durant has so much time left on his contract and therefore it makes him tradable to these markets that normally, you know, for players that are, you know, request trades are kind of off limits. 
I mean, is there any chance in your mind the Nets look around, decide there isn't enough value, and then just tell them, hey, too bad? I don't think it's inconceivable. I mean, look, would, it, would anything surprise us at this stage if the Nets did the chamber at this <laughs> point in the NBA? I mean, you know, we had Ben Simmons go, you know, six months without playing in Philadelphia before getting traded. So it, it wouldn't shock me. But, you know, the fact that it was presented today by Woj is, you know, Sean Marks will work with Kevin Durant to find a trade. It makes me think that's an unlikely option. Spain and Fitz here. Spain, Jason Fitz talking to Kevin Pelton. Uh, do you actually believe that James Harden will negotiate a team-friendly deal to allow the Sixers to add pieces, and who is in the mix for them if they do that? Yeah, he sort of has to now that they've, it's been reported. The uh, the Athletic had uh, the news of P.J. Tucker heading there on a three-year deal at the uh, non-taxpayer mid-level. And then also, uh, you know, I believe Woj broke the news that Daniel House is headed there on a two-year deal, and that would require them to use their biannual exception Either of those two moves individually and certainly in concert would trigger the hard cap for the, the Sixers a little bit, about $7 million above the luxury tax line. So the most you could sign for you know, is a starting salary around $39 million or so as compared to the $47 million he was set to make on the uh, player option decline. So you know, definitely there's, there's some give from James Harden to try to make sure that this team is going to be as good as it possibly can be this season. And uh, you know, presumably with the, the Sixers making it up on the back end in terms of a longer contract. We're talking to Kevin Pelton, ESPN NBA writer, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, let's uh, for for all of New York. Let's get to Jalen Brunson. Uh, we hear, according to Woj, that he's got you know an offer from the Mavs at this point. So, how important in your mind? We'll start with the Mavs side. How important in your mind is that the Mavs try and keep him? I mean, look, he was their second best player throughout that run to the Western Conference Finals this season, and to lose someone like that who's in the prime of his career is is pretty devastating for the Mavericks, uh, especially because they don't have a way to replace him. You know, their only option in terms of free agency is the, the taxpayer mid-level exception. Uh, it's already been reported, Tim McMahon broke that from our side, that uh, they're going to use that to sign JaVale McGee to a three-year contract. You know, that's, that's how a player is going to replace Joe and Brunson at point guard, much as JaVale sometimes might want to play the point. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be up to Spencer Dinwiddie, who they got last year as part of the Kristaps Porzingis deal, to step into a larger role. Uh, a healthy Tim Hardaway Jr. also kind of helps fill that void to some degree, but I don't think either of those two players is, is good with the ball in their hands as Jalen Brunson was. Kevin, what do you see happening with the Jazz? I mean, they, they've got a gaping hole right now on the wing. They just traded Royce O'Neal to Brooklyn, which was kind of a surprising move for the Nets in the context of this Kevin Durant trade request. But, uh, you know, they they don't have really a lot of options to fill that void in free agency. It seems most likely to me that's probably going to happen as part of a Rudy Gobert trade at some point within the next few weeks. Kevin, you're smarter than I am. I always imagine you just sitting back watching all this happen. What's the transaction so far that you've seen that made you smile and say, oh, that's really good? <laughs> uh, I, I guess Brooklyn getting a commitment from Nick Claxton was up there. I, I like the idea of Joe Ingles in Milwaukee. He's coming off a, a tour in ACL, and it did cost them their entire you know, non-taxpayer non-ta- mid-level exception. So, again, the only way that they have to add players at more than the minimum. But, uh, you know, Ingles with his basketball IQ, his shooting, once he gets back from that torn ACL in time for the playoffs, I think he adds a, an interesting dimension to the Bucks. 
Anything else we're not talking about that you think is actually pretty interesting in terms of a free agent that's already signed? Uh, someone like maybe Lou Dort that really turned uh, his fortunes over the last couple years for that deal, or maybe someone who hasn't made a move yet that you're looking at? Yeah, the Dort one was really interesting because so the, the Thunder had the option they could have brought him back this year at the minimum, a little less than $2 million. Instead, they declined that, made sure he was a restricted free agent. So they sort of avoided the same situation that the Mavericks got themselves into with Jalen Brunson, where you know he'd be unrestricted coming off his first NBA contract. But, uh, boy, I, I was surprised to see the number for Dort you know, in the 80, high 80s millions. Uh, you know, that's valuing him certainly as a core piece going forward. Uh, you know, I think the other team that's always worth watching is the, the Lakers. You know, again, as last summer, they only had that one option for adding salary at more than the minimum, which was their taxpayer mid-level exception. They used that on Lonnie Walker, the San Antonio Spurs. The Spurs had decided to pull their qualifying offer from make him an unrestricted free agent. That one surprised me. I mean, I thought that you kind of needed a more reliable 3-and-D-type veteran with that, that exception for the Lakers and then, you know, maybe use the minimum salaries that they have to take some chances on interesting young players, which they have with Troy Brown Jr., Juan Toscano Anderson, like those pickups. But, you know, Walker hasn't been able to establish a consistent role in San Antonio over the course of his career. I think they're hoping for the same success they had with Malik Monk, who cashed in in Sacramento today. But uh, I, don't, I don't think this is as good a bet as the Monk was last last year and, and he came at the minimum Kevin uh, all eyes on the Grizzlies going into next season with more pressure than they had this year given the way they performed uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. out four to six months what's the right approach for this offseason in your mind for Memphis yeah, I don't think it's necessarily to, to approach it too aggressively because you know Jackson is going to be back at some point before the playoffs. And, and they do have a deep front court. Brandon Clark played a lot of minutes uh, in last season in the postseason at center. He probably slides more into that power forward spot where, where Jaron Jackson was you know, looking forward to next year. They've also got David Tillman Sr. Uh, and then drafted a couple of guys, Jake LaRavia and David Roddy, who are probably going to get a long look in that spot. Those feel like you probably could use one more veteran power forward, especially you know if they're not able to bring back Kyle Anderson, who's an unrestricted free agent. So uh, you know I think that's maybe worth watching for them, but uh, you know probably not someone who I think you look at as coming in as a, a long-term starter because eventually that's going to be Darren Jackson's spot. As always, we appreciate his insight. You can follow him on Twitter at kpelton. Kevin, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Thanks for giving us so much brilliance. All right, thanks for having me. ESPN NBA writer Kevin Pelton there. Uh, It's a a crazy day. It is a crazy day across the NBA. We'll get you updated on the most uh, recent transactions and free agency as it has started. But what other teams have squandered as much talent as the Nets in sports history? You guys have answered it. We'll get you some of your answers next on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We asked a question, and to be fair, someone pointed out the way we phrased it was maybe not quite accurate. We asked y'all... The last team in any sport that you remember blowing a ton of talent like the Nets did. And as someone pointed out, it was more like the talent blew up the Nets than that the Nets blew having the talent. And I agree with that. We'll, we'll allow that to be the change in question. But the answers remain. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Fitz, we got a whole lot of answers to this. A lot of them seem to be personal Right. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Fandom. For instance, yeah. uh, Angry Bears fan dad band, uh, one of our best listeners, uh, listed just every Bears team that had <laughs> five to 11 all pro players and didn't end up winning. 
Uh, a lot of folks pointed to the Shaq LeBron Cavs team. Shaq was injured, but that it still should have been a win. Uh, people say the Knicks blow every season, offseason and draft. Does that mm, count? Okay. Oh, fair <laughs> enough. Um, someone said the current Cleveland Browns. I don't think they're anywhere near talented enough to make this mix. I mean, you could look at a lot of people said the Packers almost every season for having an incredible quarterback and enough talent and then never quite being able to pull it off. The 91 Eagles, uh, the Nets that were the precursor to this trio that failed. Um, I like the deep cut of the NWSL's Orlando Pride. Fitz, you don't know this, but uh, pretty much everybody is leaving that team as quickly as possible. <laughs> so okay. a lot okay. of talent. Nobody wants to be there. Um, what were some of the ones you saw? Yeah, well, uh, the Eagles got a lot of votes on this. By the way, I had to go back and reread the 1991 Eagles because y'all, like, I don't know what kind of knowledge you think I have, but the 91 Eagles were not just sitting at the uh, tip of my uh, tip of my tongue. <laughs> a couple of votes for the Lakers. Uh, I saw one person tweeted me uh, the Nets, and I forget that, you know, Bobby Marks, we have all the time, was part mm-hmm. of the, you know, building a yeah. team, team for the Nets. Love mm-hmm. you, Bobby. Sorry to have to bring uh, The Detroit Tigers that had Cabrera, Verlander, Scherzer, Fielder. Um, we got some votes for the 99 Rockets. Uh, I'm sure – uh, there's plenty of Cubs teams that had a lot of talent and it didn't work out. 69, 03, 04, 08, 17, 18. Um, I don't agree with the current Lakers. Uh, most of their talent is past its prime. Yeah, that was a team I, that you saw when you put them together wasn't going to work. Um, somebody said the 90s Bills. No, uh, It's I, tough because like, you're making it to four straight Super Bowls, but... Uh, just you're not winning them, so I guess yeah, that I counts. The 90s, uh, the, the 90s Bills is something that you know history is much more forgiving to at this yes. point, and, and should be. I mean, at this point, I'd kill to go to four straight Super Bowls. Let's just right. be very, very clear about that. You know, uh, but it, it is funny how many of these NBA teams involve the Nets and the Lakers. Like it, it just yeah. feels like. You know, mm-hmm. maybe those fan bases are used to it. I do like how many people were sent. Like, we even got the Sports Illustrated uh, cover from somebody that uh, is, you know, Steve Nash and uh, Dwight Howard hanging out. And it's like we forget how many times people have bought into the Lakers and then uh-huh. not had that pan out. Sorry, Lakers fans. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think for all the jokes we'll make about Kyrie Irving and whoever – it gets him next. I very genuinely would not want my team anywhere near him. And you can make excuses all you want about it being about the vaccine mandate. But this is a guy who, before that ever happened, disappeared on his team without telling them in advance that he'd be gone. Some sleuthing by worldwide Wobs seemed to imply that he was at least at one point at a party with his sister during that time. Um, it's fine. If basketball isn't his only priority or even his top priority, if that's his life choice, but that will be reflected in your salary, in the way people view you, in your legacy as a player, and I'm I'm not touching Kyrie. And I know that it does feel like the Lakers might be the only thing that makes sense because they have no options. They are truly desperate, and the upside is high for a player that good. The downside is what we saw with the Nets and wasted opportunities the last couple of years. I mean, to that point, Sarah, just think about what we're talking about with KD today. Like, the the spot where KD has the best chance to win a championship is probably right where he is, right? I mean, I can't no, imagine. we don't know gonna, that yet. Well, I mean, in I, theory, And I don't agree. I don't think they have a good chance to win. We don't – Ben Simmons, we have no idea what he is. And Kyrie Irving is not a consistently available player whose well, head that, is in the game. 
that but that speaks to what I'm saying. Like if if the presumption is like I wouldn't touch Kyrie because if Kyrie was touchable, KD wouldn't be leaving. That's that's the best way I right. can say it. Like if that's if part Kyrie of it was, for sure. If, if Kyrie was capable of delivering a championship or playing at the level that that KD feels would be necessary to deliver a championship, the two of them together could at least make a run in my mind if they were both playing at 100 percent and everybody was all in. So to me, I wouldn't touch Kyrie because it, it's been so toxic that now KD's out. Like I, I can't. I'm actually. I look at this one with a lot more compassion and understanding for KD wanting to be somewhere else than perhaps has been looked at at previous times in his career when he's wanted out. Like this makes a lot of sense. I guess, but he did me. this to himself. Sure, but uh, at some point you turn around and say, "Okay, this isn't going to work for me, dog." Like this is that's a no for me, you know. And, and I, don't I don't blame, blame him for getting out. I right. do blame him for tying his future and his hopes to Kyrie Irving. A hundred percent. I think in that sense, I'll go back to Nick Friedel and I joking about relationships. Like he's the one that decided he was going to get into bed with a crazy girl, right? And at some point, now we as his Why friend, she we're going to be crazy uh, girl. Well, I mean, it, it, what a crazy, crazy partner, whatever his yeah. choice should be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he gets in with the crazy always, partner. Always the, and the, then, the analogies always involve women being crazy. Well, I mean, oh, really? Because uh, I know way more like super sensitive, crazy guys than I do. Crazy exactly my point. That. that is that is very fair. But you know, we're all looking around as friends, saying you should have seen that you were you were getting in deep with somebody that's crazy. He's finally gotten to that spot where now he sees it and has to get out. It's his fault that he got here, but right. I don't blame him for wanting to get out at, at this point. Yeah, I completely agree. And we asked earlier, um, as there was the potential, not likely, but potential that the Lakers may try to make a move to take the both of them. We asked you guys the last place you'd like to see Kevin Durant play next. And a lot of you came through with the answer we were looking for, which was the Lakers. Uh, I don't think most people want to see a Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, LeBron James combination we're all kind of sick of those super teams uh manufactured that way uh Would that be phoenix the least likable like championship of, of level all team of them seen, mm. and that we've seen in a long time it just feels yeah. like there's not like i mean honestly the nets were oh that's fair i yeah, mean no, no, you right. got for, you got a cupcake a I'm quitter yeah and Kyrie, a flat earther, a cupcake, a quitter, and a flat earther. I don't know how you top that. It's the beginning of a of a joke, like a cupcake, <laughs> yeah, exactly. a, flat a cupcake, a quitter, and a flat earther walk into walk a into stadium. A yeah, uh, a lot of people said Golden State. Uh, they don't want to see him that. go back to the Warriors. Anywhere with Kyrie, I guess. Yeah, some people would like to see KD play without being um, attached to him. Um, and a lot of people just named their own team, which is interesting. Uh, some people are just sort of done with KD, which I find insane because of the talent. And I think when he's not tied to Kyrie, he's still someone you pair with other talent and have a really great shot of winning it all. I, I think some people have just kind of grown tired of not just, uh, you know, the drama that always surrounds him, but, you know, his behavior on social media and his interactions with fans and his sensitivity and all of that. Yeah, I just we live in a wild world, though, where people are so tired of KD they wouldn't want him on their team. But people are okay with Deshaun Watson being their quarterback. Like, that's just a weird world to me, sir. That, I, I will never be able to make that make sense. Right. I, I mean, listen, there are no rules and no consistencies across the sports landscape <laughs> of who we quote-unquote hate and who we're cool with. And I don't mean to turn this to a dark space because we're having fun here, but there are people who hate Kevin Durant for playing with the Warriors more than they hate people who have been criminally 
charged with domestic violence, child abuse, murder. I'm being serious. Like, it is wild the lengths people will go to to defend someone who's brought them a win or to hate someone that they consider a traitor that they probably misspell in their tweet. Well, look, and I am sir, I don't have a favorite NBA team, but if I did, I'd want Kevin Durant on him because he's the best player in the NBA, right? So if I can have the best player in the league come play for my team, I'm all in for that. So whatever it takes, to, if, if I was a Heat fan, it'd be whatever it takes. If I was a Nuggets fan, it's whatever it takes. If I'm a Grizzlies fan, it's whatever it takes. It's very simple right now. And KD would make a team better. Right, and well, that's what's interesting to talk about because like what happened with LeBron years ago, you see which teams might alienate their existing stars, making clear that they are trying to make a run at KD. And how that goes over with those existing stars or players on the roster is yet to be seen. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.